There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. You know how when it rains, you want to stay in bed? I did yesterday for a little bit, and uh, and I found myself just uh, just dragging it, dragging it, dragging it. I woke up this morning, there was no rain for a minute. I mean, it rained a little bit in the 7 o'clock hour, but for the most part, the rain hasn't been happening. I, I even got to go for a walk today because it was cool. Again, the mosquitoes were out, and I was sorry I took the walk, but whatever. But I started to look through, I do my prayer and meditation, and then I started to look through the news. And what I found was a lot of news that actually cheered me up. And I'm going to tell you why. Not that it was good news, because there is no good news. I told you that. I try to find good news, and I keep banging my head against the proverbial wall. But some of the news was just. And I am a person who really likes justice. That's the beauty of this republic, or at least it was. You know, we're a nation of laws. We like to see justice served. Yes, we have lots of problems. And yes, we don't always get the results that we hope to. But we are still one place where everyone wants to come. And I know why. Because we're the, we're the best nation on earth, even with all the problems. So I woke up and there was some like just news stories the case against the former president that was brought by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, this is going to go on for a while. You know, there's legal maneuvers that are happening. You've got the uh, House of the Ju- the the House Judiciary Committee head uh, Jim Jordan, who we all love. He keeps pushing back, um, and he they've been probing the indictment of President Trump from the very beginning, and that of course is a problem for the prosecutors. So that's why the DA, Bragg, requested a restraining order against Congressman Jordan and his committee so that they wouldn't be able to further interfere in the case. However, the court doesn't view it as interference. And it was like an added bonus for Jim Jordan and the Republican Party because not only was the restraining order denied or declined by a judge, the judge ordered D.A. Bragg to send material to Jim Jordan by 9 p.m. next Tuesday so that the court could have a hearing on the situation on April 19th, which would be Wednesday. So not only did Bragg get a rest- not get his restraining order, but he has only a few days to provide the committee with the requested material. Uh, Jim Jordan subpoenaed an investigator that's involved with the case. And of course, uh, Bragg didn't want that to be enforced. But now the previous prosecutor, Mark Pomerantz, will have to testify. And the subpoena is still outstanding for the time being because Bragg's lawyers are now suing Jordan 
and they claim that Congress has no power to supervise state criminal prosecution and that Jordan is basically out of his jurisdiction. I mean, listen, you know, just desserts, that's all I can say. And I saw more just desserts this morning. We saw that there's a uh, Obama-era staffer, a stenographer actually, who decided to blow the whistle on the Biden family business dealings and has accused President Biden of being involved in a kickback scheme in connection with Hunter's overseas business dealings while he was vice president. Now, mind you, Hunter Biden appeared alongside of his father on Air Force One just the other day, flying off to Ireland. You know, first they had low-profiled uh, Hunter with all the mess that's going on, but apparently, you know, he's a resurrected. He's like a phoenix who rises from the ashes, and he was with his dad. Mike McCormick is the name of the stenographer for the White House. He was a stenographer for 15 years, and he said that the FBI has been ignoring his alarms on the matter, despite the fact that he's been willing to testify under oath before the federal grand jury that happens to be investigating Hunter. He said, in February, I went to the FBI and filed one of their tips on their website. If you do that and you're lying to them, you go to jail. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth and I'm not going to jail, McCormick said Thursday. Joe Biden is a criminal. He was conducting malfeasance in office to enrich his family. Jake Sullivan is a conspirator in that. And there's more. More Obama officials are involved in it, I believe. Okay. So McCormick, who actually worked with uh, Joe Biden from 2011 to 2017, talked about a, a conversation involving the vice president, his aide, Jake Sullivan, and the press on Air Force Two before they took a trip to Kiev on April 21st of 2014. Now, Jake Sullivan is the national security advisor now. And uh, in a White House transcript, Biden's priorities for his trip to the country, which included uh, the U.S. investing in the Ukrainian energy sector days after Hunter joined the board of Burisma. Well, after the trip, Congress allocated $50 million to Ukraine's energy market. So Mike McCormick says, I'm sitting back there with a tape recorder. And Jake Sullivan comes back and somebody asks about fracking. And his answer is, well, we're bringing a lot of American assistance over for fracking. Burisma was the direct beneficiary of that fracking. And that's what I recorded. And that's in a White House transcript, according to Mike McCormick, the stenographer. In the transcript, you don't know who Jake Sullivan is. It's a senior administration official. I'm the witness that says Jake Sullivan is the guy who said it. And he should be investigated because at the time, Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma and Joe Biden is bringing American taxpayer money to enrich that company and himself and his family. This is, uh, you know, this is going to be very interesting. I don't know how you ignore this. You can't. This was a stenographer during the uh, uh, Obama administration. Hunter, of course, is under federal investigation. He's been under federal investigation since 2018. They think he lobbied, he, he foreign lobby violations, suspected tax violations. And of course, a lot of these transactions were flagged by the federal government. They're called SARs, Suspicious Activity Reports. And they were flagged. 
a money that was funneled from China and other nations. And that, that's what's in being examined in this, uh, in this probe. And although reports suggested in the past that the investigation is, you know, coming to a critical point, I don't know, subpoenas like this are going to accelerate the investigation. So it's all, it's all just, it just felt just today when I got up and read some of these stories. And then uh, there was another one that, that truly, um, truly tickled me. I, I'm, I'm sorry, it, it, just, it just tickled me. And it was the fact that uh, Alex Berenson, who of course is the, whatever you want to call Alex Berenson, I mean, it's very hard to deny that he is um, one of the most, or, or let me put it to you this way, he was one of the most respected health and science reporters ever when he worked for the New York Times, right? But then, of course, when he became a skeptic about COVID and COVID vaccines, he suddenly was no longer, uh, you know, going to be considered such a wonderful guy anymore, right? Right. Well, he's suing the, uh, the president and a number of uh, Pfizer uh, executives and a number of people in the administration and physicians, and they assigned a judge to his case. Now, yesterday, I said, good luck in New York, right? Uh, the, if this case gets given to one of the typical Obama appointee or, or even Bush appointee judges, this guy doesn't have a prayer in his suit, right? In the Southern District of New York? Come on. Guess what? They... There are only four judges that were appointed by Donald J. Trump. And that's who got assigned. Mary Kay Viscosil, a Trump appointee, she'll be hearing Berenson versus Biden. And I sent uh, Alex Berenson an email this morning. I said, hallelujah. It was another example for me. When I'm losing all hope, sometimes there'll be a glimmer of justice. And I just have to be grateful, you know. I, I just have to stay in that frame of mind, at least for the first segment of my show, right? I can start ranting and raving at any time, and usually do. But I was extremely, extremely happy to see that in certain instances, a little bit of justice is sneaking through. You should be happy about that too, because we don't want this country to implode. We don't want to see this country uh, destroyed. That is not good for us. It's not good for the world. I'm looking at the world. It's in flames. And it's in flames because we literally have no leadership of any significance. You know, ha having the House in the hands of the Republicans is just maybe a little bit of a stopgap, but we don't have leadership that I feel confident in. You know, we've got a president who first he was Jewish, then he was, uh, you know, an African-American and he was at the civil rights movement and he tried to save Nelson Mandela. And now he's an Irishman, you know, who went back to his uh, ancestral home in Northern Ireland. And he is, you know, sort of glorying in, in his trip to Ireland. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, your trip to Ireland there's some places you should go to first. You still haven't been to Israel, have you? You haven't invited the prime minister of Israel here to the White House either. 
Last time I checked, Israel is a pretty important ally. It's the only democratic country in the Middle East. So what's up with that? You went to Ireland? You know, I hope you, I hope you do the jig. Hope you drink some stout. I don't know. Doesn't make me no never mind. But for goodness sake, how do you not attend to the business of the presidency? How do you get away with that? Can you imagine if Donald Trump said, hey, I'm going to, you know, England. I don't know, and there's nothing going on there, but I'm going to go there. No, he went to places like war-torn areas. But this is just such a different, just such a different time. So I revel in the little bit of joy that I get from a little bit of justice speaking through, and you should too. Don't forget, if you don't have our 850 WFTL app, the only way you can get involved in our contests is to go to the website, 850WFTL.com. And we always have contests going on. We have two ways for you to win, the app and the website. And right now they're giving away a family four-pack of tickets to Sunfest, which is May 5th through the 7th. It's fabulous. It's what a great time. And you will be able to take your whole family. For, well, if you have more than four people in your family, you're going to have to pay for the rest. But uh, it's right on the um, West Palm Beach waterfront. And all you got to do is enter on our app or at the website. Let me take a quick break. I will be right back. You know, Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. After all the times I was told that, uh, oh, Donald Trump is too dumb to be president, you know, I, I watch what they have to do every time President Joe Biden says something ridiculous. The White House is forced to clean it up either through the press secretary's press conference or cleaning up transcripts like they did yesterday. The president made a huge mix-up when he was talking about a famous victory by the rugby team of Ireland. He spoke about a tie with a shamrock on it that was given to him by a rugby player. This was given to me by one of these guys right here. He was a hell of a rugby player, and he beat the hell out of the black and tans, the president said. He added, but it was when you were at Soldier Field, wasn't it? The game, Chicago, and after all, he gave my brother allegedly for me, but it wasn't. I still took it. I still got the tie. I wear it with great pride. What? That that he's incoherent, And, and he was babbling at an Irish pub, talking about his delight at Ireland beating the hell out of the black and tans. What he meant, he meant the All Blacks, which is the team from New Zealand. The black and tans were a British unit during the uh, 1919 Irish Independence War. This guy is an utter embarrassment. It's just incoherent. And, And... Ireland's rugby team did win a famous victory against the All Blacks in Chicago at Soldier Field back in 2016. 
but Irish rebels fought a bloody conflict against the Black and Tans, which was a like sort of an auxiliary military force that was nicknamed for the colors of their uniforms. And that was back at the beginning of the 20th century in the War of Independence. So the White House transcript of the event corrected it, right? It now reads, and the closing comment I make, you see this tie I have with this shamrock on it? This was given to me by one of these guys right here. He was a hell of a rugby player, and he beat the hell out of the All Blacks. <laughs> you know, I'm embarrassed, and we should all be embarrassed. You know, of course, the commentators in Ireland brushed it off. In Ireland, you know, they see him as a funny, harmless old man. A delicious goff, yes. The Irish Mirror said Biden had left the people in stitches. It was the highlight of the trip, according to Irish Twitter users. A fantastic Freudian slip. Good lad, Joe. Wasn't the first gaffe he made during his trip. He struggled over the word young, which led some to joke he was speaking a different language. But hey, you know, we're just supposed to ignore all of this stuff and not, uh, not make any, any uh, you know, comments that might be detrimental. You're only allowed to make negative comments about Donald Trump or Republicans. That's it. Anything else is off limits, out of bounds. Now, I did put up the video, and everybody is talking about it, of Elon Musk being interviewed by a BBC reporter. There are days when I am so frustrated with Musk that I, I could scream. But for the most part, I appreciate the the intrinsic value of having a richest, one of the richest men in the world be so in touch with freedom, you know, and, and whether or not he is able to accomplish a thriving Twitter uh, matters less to me than it seems to matter to him. And it doesn't seem to matter that much to him. He was making a point. He made it. If he loses the money, he can afford it, you know, uh, he just, that's all there is to it. Yeah, you know, it'd be like me losing a hundred thousand dollars for him to lose forty million, yeah, you know, a billion, whatever. You know, he just doesn't. He doesn't operate in the same financial realm that most of us do. So we go, oh my gosh, he's losing all this money. And it's a write off. I mean, I, that's how I, I I perceive. He looks at it, and he was trying to make a point. So anyway, this uh, BBC reporter. A front, uh, you know, really, I love when these reporters, they don't ask a hard question of, uh, you know, Joe Biden. They never asked a hard question of Barack Obama. But it's always the hardest questions for guys like Donald Trump and guys like Elon Musk, right? So he says to him, uh, there's been a proliferation. I, I don't do a British accent very well because I just loathe the, the. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say I loathe the Brits. I don't loathe them. I just don't like the obnoxiousness of some of them. Anyway. He says, uh, there's been a preponderance, a disproportionate amount of hate on Twitter these days. So Elon Musk goes, really? Um, can you give me an example? And of course, Elon Musk has the South African British accent. So, oh, can you give me an example? And the guy goes, well, no, I haven't been on Twitter lately. And he goes, well, but have you ever been on Twitter? Because if you hasn't, haven't, you can't really you know, judge it. And he goes, well, I was on it before. Okay, so give me an example from before. And of course, the guy is babbling. 
you know, he just, he can't come up with an example because, you know, hate speech is hate speech. And, you know, most of us have decided that we're not, you know, even aware anymore of what's really hateful. You know, we'll be told something is hateful that appears to us to be pretty innocuous. And then we'll be told that we should accept, you know, Dylan transvestite, uh, you know, pitching uh, Bud Light beer, which, by the way, isn't working out very well for Bud Light, but that's okay. But I just, I look at Elon Musk and he stays really calm. And I put a piece up today on the Daily Download that is actually a video of Steven Crowder talking about that interview with Elon Musk. And he makes an excellent point. He said there's something about Elon Musk that reminds him of Andrew Breitbart. And you all know that I, I think Andrew Breitbart was singularly one of the most important movers and shakers when it came to news gathering. And I remember clearly when he said to me that the world is going to, is about to change because anyone who has a cell phone has now become a reporter. And I thought at the time, oh, you know, come on, Andrew, wouldn't that be nice? But it's not true. Well, it is true. You know, people are filming, uh, you know, police interactions. People are filming, you know, shootings. People are filming everything with their cell phones. And sometimes to the point that I don't understand why they don't intervene and just stand there filming. But that's a whole nother day, another show. But I, I, I think he was right. And I think Elon Musk knows that. But what he does that's just like Andrew Breitbart, and Crowder points this out in the video, is he's relentless and he keeps pressing the point. And he keeps saying to the BBC reporter, well, give me an example. And the guy, you know, tap dances and then gets kind of looks like a deer in the headlight. And then Elon Musk goes, you're lying. You can't come up with a single example. If there was so much hate, you said it's proliferating. If there's so much, you should be able to come up with a single example. And of course, the guy can't. But Elon Musk doesn't stop. He keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. So that in the end, what you understand is that this guy was just, uh, you know, a mouthpiece for the left. He's just, you know, uh, we don't like it. NPR issued a statement today. We will not participate in Twitter because uh, they, they're not nice. You know, oh, come on. You know, they, they said you'd have to pay for your blue check or whatever it is like everybody else. And anyway, you lie so much. Musk stuck it to them and said, you're, you're a bunch of liars. You know, so if you want a, a verified blue check, you're going to have to pay for it. And they were outraged, right? Well, too bad. And they did fundraising off it. I got a fundraising spiel from some guy. Let me see if I can even find that because I responded. I never respond to these things. He sent me this is from John Lansing at NPR. As you may have seen, NPR's organizational accounts will no longer be active on Twitter. The platform is taking actions that undermine our credibility by falsely implying that we are not editorially independent. <laughs> no kidding. After great consideration, we will not put our journalism on platforms that have demonstrated an interest in undermining our credibility and the public's understanding of editorial independence. Millions of Americans depend on NPR and local NPR member stations for the factual independent journalism they need to stay informed. No, that's not true. He says, I want to reassure you that while we are turning away from Twitter, we will never turn away from you. If you'd like to show your support, please donate. Unbelievable, right? So I responded, something that I never really do, but I just felt compelled. I don't know if it'll get through to him. Uh, you know, I have no way of knowing if that's one of these closed, uh, uh, no reply emails. You never really know. 
um, unless, of course, you're you know you're able to get a response or something like that. So, I uh, I'm waiting to see if I get a response, but uh, I'll share with you w- what I wrote to them. I said to this guy, "It's about time you got hoisted on your own petard." Have a nice day, the Joyce Kaufman Show. That's all. You know, come on. I, I'm supposed to feel sorry for NPR. That ain't happening. Anyway, I got to take a break. I want to take care of a little bit of business. So you just stay right where you are because I'll be right back. Wow. Wow. You know, there's a a news story that's breaking right now. You know how disturbed I was last week when uh, Bob Lee, who was the one of the founders or one of the creators of Cash App, was murdered in the streets of San Francisco. And of course, you know, when I'm right, I'm right. And when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And my, you know, my take on it was this was a pretty decent neighborhood. It's a very nice neighborhood, actually. And this just goes to show you, this is what I said, that uh, the criminality in uh, San Francisco is off the chain. However, that's not exactly the whole story because an arrest has been made and the, um, the alleged killer is another tech guy who was actually knew Bob Lee and Bob Lee knew him. The police were dispatched to Emeryville with a warrant to arrest a man named Nima Momeni. The name and Emeryville address the San Francisco Police Department offers travel to correspond with this man the owner of a company called Expand It. Multiple police sources have described the pre-dawn knifing last week, which left the 43-year-old Lee dead in a deserted section of downtown San Francisco as neither a robbery attempt nor a random attack. Rather, Lee and Momeni were portrayed by police as being familiar with one another. In the wee hours of April 4th, they were purportedly driving together through downtown San Francisco in a car registered to the suspect. Some manner of confrontation allegedly commenced while both men were in the vehicle and potentially continued after Bob Lee exited the car. Police allege that Momeni stabbed Lee multiple times with a knife that was recovered not far from the spot on the 300 block of Main Street to which officers initially responded. This scenario would explain, in part, why Lee was walking through a portion of Main Street in which there is little to no foot traffic at 2.30 in the morning. That was one of several incongruous circumstances surrounding his violent death, which law enforcement sources from the get-go felt made it far from straightforward or a random crime. Nevertheless, some of Lee's fellow tech luminaries and a chorus of other influential voices portrayed this killing as part and parcel of a city awash in violent crime. Now, I was one of those voices. I may not be a luminary uh, or that influential, but, you know, sometimes we think that we understand exactly what happened, and we, you know, I have to learn, just like everybody else, to stand back and let things unfold sometimes. Now, granted, there are dozens of homicide victims in San Francisco every year. And most of them don't get a smidgen of national coverage or even local coverage, you know, because San Francisco, 
unlike the Miami-Dade Broward market where I watch local news, which glories in, in violent crime and hit and runs. I mean, it's like that if it bleeds, it leads here. But in San Francisco, they don't show you that stuff, you know. Um, there were homicide victims that nobody will ever know their names, you know, and, and they got no coverage. And at, that's pretty sad, you know, just this year alone. Gavin Boston, age 40, Irving Sanchez Morales, 28, Carlos, Carlos Romero Flores, 29, Maxwell Maltzman, 18, Demario Lockett, 44, Maxwell Mason, 29, Umberto Avila, 46, Gregory McFarlane Jr., 36, Kareem Sims, 43, Deborah Lynn Horde, 57, and Jermaine Reeves, 52. You never heard their names. I never called their names. But Bob Lee, we all called the name. San Francisco is home to a lot of public misery, no question about it. A lot of drug use on the street. Just yesterday, my husband brought to my attention a video of a, a, a homeless woman uh, giving birth on the street. Like, had the baby right there on the street. Property crime rate is off the charts. The police clearance rate for property, they don't even bother. They don't even show up if you have a property crime complaint. But the violent crime actually is lower than a lot of other large-sized cities. It's just that it's so grotesque there on the streets. So this arrest literally um, made me stop and say, I can't say that this guy was the victim of a random crime when he wasn't. If this is true, if the alleged person who was arrested, this Momeni, is the guy who killed Bob Lee, and it was not a robbery gone bad, it was not a motiveless assault by some random attacker, but it was a dispute between men who knew one another, then I have to say that, you know? But of course, you know, in the media and in social media, all of this stuff, we we get locked into some of these narratives. Like yesterday, I did not bring up a story about Whole Foods leaving San Francisco. Um, there were This was the ninth one they opened downtown and it's leaving because the, the staff feels unsafe and they don't wanna work there. Um, and I didn't bring it up because I keep thinking to myself, well, I'm not sure that that's the whole story because I remember reporting on all the Walgreens that were closing in San Francisco and I said it was because of theft and there have been numerous reports that say sometimes it might be a lot of theft but sometimes it's just that the store isn't uh, receiving enough business or the employees don't feel safe in the store but it's not necessarily the theft and so I don't report on all those things immediately until I read a little more. So I don't know why Whole Foods left, you know. Um, what we're doing, though, th this kind of coverage doesn't capture what's actually going on in most of San Francisco. And that's what I get into conflicts about with my daughter all the time. Well, she'll say to me, that's not, you know, that's not my experience here. We don't see things that way. We, we have a very different lifestyle than the news reports that you send me, Mom. And I have to be, you know, I, I'm trying to grow. Everybody is trying to grow, you know. 
And while I would never live in San Francisco, and my kids know that, and I would never live in Los Angeles, um, they're happy there, you know? And I, 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 I can't tell them they can't be happy there. I want them to be happy. I just pray for them. I pray for my grandchildren growing up in the insanity there. But again, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. And when I'm right, I'm right. You know, and I don't have to say I'm wrong. So that's the, you know, that's where we're at um, with that story. But I was, it was an interesting headline for me to come upon this morning that in fact it was a, a, uh, an attack by someone who he was quarreling with and whatever they were doing in a car at 2.30 in the morning is subject for another day. The other big headline that, you know, I was in a good mood and didn't want to talk about was the fact that uh, the Fed's economists are saying there's going to be a recession this year. And, you know, it's very hard for the economic outlook to, you know, be told future prophecies with any kind of confidence. But they believe that the banking turmoil will probably trigger a mild recession later this year, which is not a good sign for President Joe Biden, because when you go into an election campaign, or whoever gets the nomination ultimately, the staff members at the central bank who brief the policymakers before interest rate decisions have long expected the GDP growth to slow this year, um, because of course they're fighting inflation. But last month, they upped the odds of a downturn, according to the minutes of the Fed's March 21st to 22nd meeting. Just a couple of weeks before the meeting, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank collapsed after depositors pulled out billions of dollars in cash, and that, of course, scared everybody. Their projection was for a mild recession starting later this year with a recovery over the subsequent two years, which, of course, will spark a jump in unemployment. And they're saying now that the economy will fully recover by 2025. Well, guess what? We have an election in 2024. And it will matter. You know, recessions hurt the party in power. We don't really know, um, you know, if the bank failures are, are all that to blame because there certainly is a different experience on Main Street than on Wall Street. And from what I can see, a lot more people are struggling than the government is willing to talk about. You know, they keep telling us all these optimistic things and all of these optimistic numbers keep coming down. And yet I go to the stores as you do and I see the prices off the charts. I see people struggling. I look inside of people's carts and, uh, and I'm, I'm very, very surprised at the, the kinds of foods that seem to be missing, a lot less fresh vegetables and a lot more prepackaged foods, which we all know is not uh, particularly good. And I did want to make mention, although I just, you know, this disturbs me greatly, in India, there is a, a, a new kind of COVID that has come about. Uh, it's, they call it Arcturus. And actually, they have found it in uh, Great Britain as well. It's an Omicron subvariant, and it's getting a lot of attention in India, and the wearing face coverings is being made compulsory again in some states in India. 
which is the first time in more than a year. You know, if there's going to be a recession, trust me, they're already looking for a way to uh, to impose restrictions on us and insist on mail-in ballots. Uh, I, maybe I'm paranoid, but it's... Uh, are you paranoid if they did it to you once already? Or are you just being realistic? Anyway, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro. And then, of course, uh, tomorrow morning, Jen and Bill will be back to finish out this week, as, as will I. But for right now, stay right where you are. I've got one segment left to finish up. So I haven't really been talking about the uh, defamation case of Dominion voting systems against Fox News because, you know, all of the stuff that's been leaked out about the case and even the stuff that has appeared to be true uh, confuses the general public. As a person who takes enormous interest in libel laws, because I have never believed, and it really bothers me, that public persons... Uh, can't be libeled. I mean, you know, the threshold is so high for a public person. And yet I'm looking at this case and you're going to hear a lot of um, arguing and debating going on. This is a hot button issue, especially when it comes to the ethics of so-called journalists or uh, media moguls and, and cable news and all the rest of it. Because for the most part, the information flows out of us and the, by the time it's even fact-checked, it's been spread all over the place. And most Americans don't have the time and don't have the desire to sit around and sort out truth from reality. We got used to believing what we were told. You know, we don't uh, ostensibly have a state-run media, so we didn't look at every newscaster and every news column or every newspaper as being biased in one direction or another. But of course, now in this polarized age, we all feel as though, uh, you know, all of the so-called trusted sources are not that trustworthy. I'm actually um, reading a book or, or, I don't know if I'm allowed to say I'm reading a book when I'm listening it, to it on Audible because technically I'm not reading it. I'm re but I have the book that I'm, into right now is a very interesting book. It's called The Revolt of the Public. And it's written by Martin Gurry. And it basically deals, I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, about a, a third of the way through this book. And it basically deals with his um, prediction, which ended up being very true, that news, as Andrew Breitbart said, would never be the same once people had access to information that prior to, to the internet, we just didn't. We believed what Walter Cronkite said. You know, we watched the six o'clock news, there were four stories and we believed they were true. All the other news stations, whether it was John Chancellor, or Huntley and Brinkley, I mean, I'm just talking about my era, we believed they were true because it mirrored or reflected what Walter Cronkite said, you know. And we had no reason to even question his journalistic ethics, none. Now, of course, in this modern era, when we've had people bow-face lie and make up news stories and get caught, like, you know, I'll give you the, the, the example that Martin Gurry gives in his book. He says, you know, the ratherization of news. When Dan Rather 
put out news reports on 60 Minutes about the fact that he said George Bush, the then president, had not had to go into combat or serve in a particular capacity in the military because of his family connections, it was a lie. And the documents that he cited when uh, a real investigative journalist went and looked at these documents, he could tell that they were written in, in a modern uh, font or whatever. You know, they were written on like WordPad, which didn't exist when the documents were supposed to have been made. And so he pointed that out. It went viral. And Dan Rather's credibility was, was gone. We see that all the time where people's credibility can be destroyed by a viral tweet, you know? And so I'm looking at this libel case and it's really, it's like the libel law equivalent of the Super Bowl. And it's going to be a very dramatic moment in American history. Um, They're picking the jury today. This case is being tried in uh, the Delaware Superior Court in Wilmington. And it's really, you know, first and foremost, it's an opportunity for everybody to look at what goes on at Fox News, because they are number one. And now we're going to see all these emails and text messages that apparently are being used as evidence showing that uh, there were hosts, including Tucker Carlson, who just had a landmark uh, one hour, uh, pretty much propaganda interview with Donald Trump and, you know, where he insulted him. Um, there's all kinds of inside baseball stuff that you're going to see after months of depositions and motion after motion, dueling motions. And now they're going to face off before a jury. And the arguments are going to have to, you know, ask questions that have been problematic in American libel law for a long time. Because Dominion is seeking $1.6 billion in damages after they say Fox News aired false claims that they were engaging in an elaborate conspiracy to steal the 2020 presidential election for Joe Biden. So we'll see. Those claims were on Maria Bartiromo's show, Maria Bartiromo's show, Lou Dobbs. And people say, you know, that's how Donald Trump was able to to, uh, win counties and places that maybe he would not have won otherwise. So I'm going to be watching this case President Biden said that the United States was getting close to finding answers about the leak of classified documents on the war in Ukraine. But doesn't it make you wonder how there's so much leaking all the time? Like, nobody can keep a secret, including members of our law enforcement community and members of our government. It's pretty scary, really. Anyway, that does it for me today. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Um, I plan on having my son Derek from TMZ on tomorrow, as well as check in with Senator Blaze in Golia, what's happening in Tallahassee, and of course, to be here for you. So um, may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you all tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.